0: Welcome to the P4C Podcast. We are excited to reshare with you the last 13 years of teaching through God's Word at Passion for Christ Summit. Each week, the P4C Podcast delivers rich truths for your life, and we know you will be blessed. Our current series is from P4C 2020 Discipleship Learning to Live in Grace. We now continue with part two from last week's message. We hope you are encouraged and challenged.
1: What makes grace so glorious to Paul and to us is it does not leave us in our sins. It makes us miserable to make us happy. Remember that question about fear and joy? There it is. There's the connection. Grace discomforts us in order to comfort us. It makes us miserable with our sin and mercifully moves us to love righteousness that is found in Jesus Christ. This is the converting work of grace. Grace moves us to follow Jesus, to be his disciples. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. You could repeat that and be just as truthful as Paul. If you know Christ, you can say, with all assurance and joy, By the grace of God, I am what I am. In our first point, we see what grace shows us. That's the convicting word of grace. That's what grace shows us, what shows us about our sin, our need. But in this point, we see how grace saves us. What happened to Paul has happened to every disciple. What happened? Well, first, grace captures the human heart. The human heart is rebellious. The human heart is wayward. The human heart is self-centered, moving in its own direction on life's journey. And comes the Holy Spirit applying the grace of God to the sinner. Paul suddenly went from being a captive of sin to being a captive of Christ. For sin shall not have dominion over you, he wrote in Romans 6, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Paul's resistibility met the irresistible grace of God. There's a man who was pushing, kicking against the goads of conviction, like a cow in a in a, a, a area trying to be herded into a stall, and the Spirit of God was taking the testimonies of people like Stephen and other Christians, maybe even those he was dragging to prison and to death, and goading him. And he was resisting, he was kicking. But that that resistibility met the irresistible grace of God in Jesus Christ. Grace captures the human heart. You are those who have been captured by God's grace. But that's not all. Grace captivates the human heart. It's not just a matter of now being an unwilling captive. We are captivated by grace. And what we see in this verse, in this chapter, is a man captivated by the resurrected Christ and the coming resurrection of the saints. These things, this blessed hope, was was the joy of his heart. It captivated his life so much that it became his reason for existence. Christ himself, the first fruits of those resurrected from the dead. When he was struck with blindness at the overwhelming sight of Christ, his response was, who are you, Lord? So captivated by the grace of his Lord that when presented with the prospect of being rid of his thorn in the flesh, most of you would remember him talking about that thorn in the flesh, whatever it was. When faced with the fact that he asked three times and it wasn't removed and finally thinking it through and saying, I can either have... the," maybe the thorn taken, or I can have grace. He says, my grace, he, God says to him, and he embraces, my grace is sufficient for you for my strength. Grace is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most, most gladly, I will glory in my infirmities, weaknesses, that the power of grace of Christ may rest upon me. This is a man captivated by grace. Grace captivates the human heart after it captures the human heart. Really, a disciple is one captivated by grace, amazed. That's why we sing Amazing Grace. We don't sing Amazing Grace because it's a cool old hymn. It's become kind of a folk hymn, you know. Everybody sings Amazing Grace, but we don't just sing it. And third, grace changes the human heart. See this work of grace? Have you seen this work of grace in your life? It is. Paul could say, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. He certainly wasn't what he was. But he couldn't forget what he had been. He knew personally the truth of his words. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That is why he could say with joy and assurance, by the grace of God, I am what I am. He was relentless, a relentless persecutor of Christians. He became a resolute preacher to the Gentiles. He was a self-righteous Pharisee. He became a sinner, saved by grace. He was a feared marauder. He became a faithful missionary. He was a pillager of churches. He became a planter of churches. He was a hater of Christ. He became a herald of Christ. That is what grace does. Think about that. That is what grace does. Grace does more than give sinners a get out of hell free card. Thanks to Matt for taking my line. It does more than provide a free pass to heaven. Grace changes the sinner's heart and thus his or her life. And keeps on changing. There is a reason it's called conversion. It's a good word, because that's exactly what happens. We are changed. We are converted. Just as surely as the grace of God in Christ captured, captivated, and changed Paul, it does so to genuine disciples today. I hear testimonies of that as you talk to me. The work of grace. God's Spirit working His grace in your life. It's a blessed thing. As a 21st century disciple of Christ, grace has brought you to you conviction and conversion. I say, well, that's old stuff. I mean, I know I'm a Christian. I know I got saved. Do you ever tire of thinking about that? When you sing that song, you know, when we sing those songs. Do we tire of it? Surely not. But just as there is a convicting and converting work of grace, as seen in the life of Paul, there is as well a conforming work of grace. Verse 10, last part of the verse. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. His grace toward me was not in vain. I labored more abundantly than all of them, yet not I. But the grace of God, which was with me. Grace doesn't stop at conversion. In a very real sense, it's just getting started. And his grace toward me was not in vain. Paul was not only changed at conversion, but there was an ongoing work of conforming Paul's life so that he actively pursued Christ and his will. The inworking of God's grace into Paul's life worked its way out in very obvious ways. What does this say to you and me about the work of God's grace in us as disciples? Well, there's something to be said about the effortlessness of grace. The effortlessness of grace. I introduced the subject in the passage, by talking about that grace comes to the sinner without his own effort. His grace toward me was not in vain. Grace is not produced by human effort. We do not work for it for salvation or for sanctification. It was not that Paul did not put forth effort, but it was the fruit of God's work of grace, not the root. He labored, but grace produced the labor. You can... Sense and attitude here of dependence upon his Savior. This is why Paul could say to the Colossian Christians, As you therefore have received the Lord Jesus, so walk in him. We're saved by grace. We're sanctified by grace. We serve by grace. The effortlessness. Not that it doesn't, there is an effort, but it's an effort, a work. The word here for labor, I labor more abundantly, is a word which means Toil to the point of exhaustion. That certainly was true of Paul, but he said it wasn't I. This effort was the product of God's grace. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Well, not only do we see the effortlessness of grace, we see the efficacy of grace. I bet you don't see that word all the time, but it's an important word. I labor more abundantly than they all. It's a good theological term, especially with regards to grace and God's work in us. In simple terms, if something is efficacious, if, it, if something is efficacious, if it does what it's supposed to do, grace is not just an idea or some benign favor. It is the active work of God that brings salvation to the sinner and sanctification to the saint. We not only believe by grace, we serve by grace. We grow in grace. God's grace in Paul's life not only brought conviction of sin and conversion to Christ, there's then the control and conforming influence of grace in Paul's life. This is the efficacy of God's grace. If we know Christ, each of us should be able to say with Paul, And with all assurance, and his grace toward me is not in vain. This is true. If we know Jesus, we're following him. We are disciples of Christ, followers, learners. We can say His grace toward me is not in vain. God's grace is an intentional is intentional, not general. God's grace is purposeful, not hopeful. And it was toward Paul and effectual. It is toward the present day disciple, you, and it is effectual. We know we are disciples because the grace of God is at work in our lives. And we know that grace. We It's a mysterious thing, but we know that his grace toward us is not in vain. So we see the effortlessness of grace is not by our own effort, although it produces effort. The efficacy of grace, it does. What it is intended to do, and then we see the effect of grace. But I labor more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. If, therefore, God's grace has efficacy, is efficacious, what is the effect? Do you get the connection? Do you see that? God's grace to Paul was not in vain. And God's grace to any disciple sitting here is not in vain. God's grace toward Paul resulted in his arduous labor for the kingdom of God, his proclamation of the gospel, and his work for the edification of, the building up of the church. Paul's life illustrates what he teaches. For by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Paul's experience in Romans, 1 15, Romans excuse me, First Corinthians 15 is mirrored in his teaching in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Not of works, lest any man should boast for. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of, unto good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is discipleship. and simple. This is the life of a disciple. This is grace conforming the disciple by the power of God. This is walking and living in grace. This is what we do. This is the normal Christian life. So, grace then is the means that affords us the ability to become and to be disciples. Without grace, there is neither. People don't become Christians by some sort of intellectual osmosis Osmosis, or some uh, persuasiveness of overpowering personalities. Without grace, there's no conviction. There's no conversion. There's no conforming conformity to the will of God. Grace makes disciples. Grace motivates disciples. Grace moves disciples. God's grace not only brings salvation to us; it also is as Paul said to Timothy, it is also teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous of good works. This is God's purpose in grace. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. I don't know about you. I need that. I need that. That leads us to understand this. Grace provokes. Dependence. Because we know God's grace and salvation, we know how dependent we are on grace. Grace provokes dependence. Dependence requires trust. You don't sit on that chair because you think it will break. You believe it will hold you. We don't. Walk out these doors and walk into the world to work, to school, in a family that does not know Christ. In all these venues in which God has put us. We don't walk into these things thinking God's going to fail us. Because he ain't. He's not going to fail us. His grace is sufficient. Grace provokes dependence. Dependence requires trust. And trust begets obedience. If you trust him, you want to obey him. And you do obey him. Perfectly? No. But you do. And that leaves us as disciples utterly dependent upon God's grace. We work. We labor. And yet we realize... It's a labor of grace. As Charles Spurgeon has said, the best position for a Christian is living wholly and directly on God's grace. At its simplest, this is a disciple's life. May the Lord help us all to live it by God's grace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your grace in Christ. Thank you for showing us, refreshing our memories once more of these things. Help us to be faithful. Help us to give you the glory because indeed it is by your grace that we are what we are. We ask you, in Jesus' name,
0: amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have questions about p for c visit our website at p4csummit.org or you can email us at info at p4csummit.org. We hope you can join us next week on the p for c podcast. May God bless you as you seek to passionately live for his glory each and every day.